there's more. I've got more about Ted for you. This is very good. Please don't stop now. No, no. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. We've come to that point of this season where things are starting to get hot and sticky and very, very serious. And to reflect all of that, we've assembled a hot and serious, but hopefully not too sticky crew to talk you through all the news and action. We have Paddy Higgs. Morning. We have Casper Schmick. Hello. And we have Andre Gonzalez. Hello. Now, Paddy and Casper, come here to me. I want to talk to you about something. Every time Andre breezes into the office, and he always breezes in with a nice pep in his step, he has this sort of deep, fruity, silken hello that he that he emits to the office. And it's been it's been bugging me for a while about where this hello has come from or what it's reminded me of. But I had the Eureka moment the other day. Ted Williams. Do you remember Ted Williams? Was he the homeless guy? He was the yeah. homeless guy. Yeah. So Ted Williams was... Ah, this guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was found begging for money on a street in, um, in Ohio and he had this sort of deep silken voice and that's what it reminded me of. Okay. I think that's a good thing. I'm going to take it as a, as a compliment, actually. You never... Did you see this video? I, I saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. And how do you feel? It was amazing. It was one of those moments... Very special moments. A very special moment. Okay. A little, little like the, the dulcet tones that we hope to get out of you today, to be honest, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> Just make it special, please. We've given you a big uh, warm-up now, so yeah. Yeah. It's mm. a, it's a, do you want to know where Ted is now, by the way? Where is, is anybody, Ted now? Is anybody interested? I sure. am. So after we, his... We have so, so much in common, I want to know. You want to know how yeah. he's doing. Right. Well, he. I've checked this out this morning. I had a bit of time. I got into the office early to find out. He has his own book. It's called A Golden Voice, How Faith, Hard Work and Humility Brought Me From the Streets to Salvation. And in it, he talks about how he prostituted himself and his girlfriend while abandoning his children for his cocaine addiction. Woof. Not so much in common, by the yeah. way. But <laughs> Just that. that started things on a bright note. Uh. Right, there's more. I've got more about Ted for you. This is very good. Please, don't stop now. No, no. Yeah. He's also announced that he was going to run for President of the United States. Well, anyone can these days, apparently. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was so frustrated with Donald Trump, apparently, that's what he was going to do. And until recently, he had the Golden Voice show on AM 1580 WVKO Columbus, Whoa. a gospel radio station out of Ohio, featuring such shows as Morning Glory with Bishop Mel Griffin and the Blazing Hot Praise Top 40 Countdown. <laughs> the Blazing Hot Praise. Yeah. Top 40 count, yeah. Yeah. So there's still hope for me. There's still hope for you. If you happen to develop a cocaine addiction mm -hmm. and have to prostitute yourself or mm. something like that, then you could still, don't worry about it. I'm going gonna to seriously think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah. always got your voice, Andre. You've yeah. always got your voice. Okay. Speaking of drugs, a few weeks ago, the Sunday Times splashed with a story about doping in sport and alleging several Premier League players were taking performance-enhancing drugs. At the time, and since then, a lot of people have dismissed their reports as flimsy or insubstantial, or they've questioned why footballers would need to take drugs. 
no drug can make you trap the ball better or shoot more accurately, goes the argument. But then over the weekend, the news broke about Mamadou Sacco. He's under investigation by UEFA for failing a drugs test after the Europa League tie at Man United last month and could face a 6-12 to 12 month ban. Uh, one of the points that um, Ken Early, who was writing in the Irish Times, made uh, was that Liverpool fans over the weekend seemed more angry with Simon Millionet and his ability to, his consistent ability to drop clangers uh, rather than they were with Sacco, which led me to think, how would you feel if a player at your club was done for doping? I would I would find it astonishingly uh, stupid of that player to yeah. do it. Um, I mean, I think, or I guess, that uh, in in professional sports, people are always on the edge of... You know what is a performance-enhancing uh, drug or not, or so. Um, but um, yeah, I think obviously getting caught for it is the most stupid thing. You're letting your your club down, your fans down, um, especially now. Liverpool are in the semi-finals of of the Europa League. Um, they're still in it um, to qualify for the Europa League via the Premier League. So um, yeah, it's super stupid. And obviously, he wants to go to the Euros in his home country. Mm. So. Yeah, you can assume as well, I think, that at, at major clubs like Liverpool, the education process for these players and what they should and shouldn't in particular put into their body would be pretty thorough, you know. Um, and again, we were joking a bit before about Toure, but he's got the perfect example next to him of what not to do. And yet, you know, um, I think, Casper, you were saying off-air before, uh, Brendan Rodgers had a bit of a problem with Sacco's weight early in the season. That contributed to his maybe his lack of, of appearances and chances. Well, but, he was dropped. Yeah. He was dropped over weight-related there issues. There you go. Yeah. But, I mean, he's a, he's a professional athlete at a professional club. If you want to lose weight, you've got the best way to do it, you know. Um, you've got everything you need to lose weight there. You don't need to turn to something like that, which you know, or you should know, is, is you know, going to risk your career. Do you think that something like this is uh, happen out of ignorance? How can you chalk it up to ignorance? I, I, I think yes, but there, there really isn't an excuse in this case. That's what Maria Sharapova claimed. Yeah. Yeah, well, not everyone swallowed that uh, <laughs> that shiny big uh, story, did they? But um, no, I just think, you know, there is no excuse for ignorance in this case. Not when you're at a, you're at a club um, where right. everything should be set out, um, nice and simple for you, when you've got a perfect example of what not to do sitting next to you in the changing rooms as well. There's no excuse for ignorance. Yeah, but there's a lot of uh, um, reports from doping. Uh, some players, they just say that uh, I didn't know what, what was taken and the doctor said uh, it would be okay. Uh, would it be the, the case in the, with Sako, the, the doctor saying that ah, it's okay, you can take it? I, I know that right now you can just speculate about it because there's, we're still Absolutely. waiting for the, yeah. the, the, uh, another test on the B sample. But I don't know, it's so, it sounds so stupid to me that someone will take something without asking uh, permission first. Especially if you're a, a professional footballer playing for Liverpool, it sounds so stupid, right? It, it's incredible because these clubs are set up now to treat the players with kid gloves. Everything yeah. is done, absolutely everything is done for them. Yeah. I know from Manchester City, and I'm sure it's the same with other clubs, that they have people who go in and open up bank accounts for these for the mm. players. Yeah. They don't even have to do that. Yeah. So something as serious as doping. Yeah. Or something, uh, you know, they, they, these people should be on hand for Absolutely. them. I, do, I don't yeah. buy into this ignorance is, is okay. No. I mean, you, you see a lot of clubs who have, you know, welfare officers to help um, players, particularly ones from overseas or younger players.
players to acclimatise to the new surroundings, to spend their money in a in a wise way, if possible. To yeah, I know not always, but you know, to <laughs> already got to Bentley. Hopefully, yeah. you consider hopefully. buying a Vauxhall. <laughs> Hopefully stay out of the press for the wrong reasons, all that sort of stuff. And you're right. I mean, that's almost should be unnecessary because they are grown men. Um, but the medical side of things is probably the first point that they start at. Right. Sacco, of course, was a key component in the wins over Dortmund in the, in yeah. the uh, Europa League and over Man United in the Europa League. Should he be found guilty? And, of course, it's all alleged at the moment – where, where, how do you think how do you think Dortmund and Man United are going to feel? I think uh, Michel Zork, um, the manager at, at Dortmund, came out and said already that they probably wouldn't push for a replay. And I think it's probably the mature line to take on it. I don't think it's it's black and white. Um, this sort of I don't, I don't think there's a legal ground for that. Yeah, for asking for a replay. Well, the UEFA rules are that two players have to well, two players two players. Wow. There you go. Two. So you know, um, but that's nonsense. Yeah, two of course. It is. I don't know how they came up with two. <laughs> yeah, why two? I mean, yeah. this Saka was a, like he was he scored against uh, Dortmund in the second leg, so he's a key player. Yeah, uh, but I then mean, Dortmund, I'd be furious if I was Dortmund. Dortmund also might not have gone three. One up um, in the second leg as well because all three goals that Dortmund scored were pretty much Sacco's fault as well. So, <laughs> yeah. So you know they might not have been in it from the from the start. But no, I, I think you know if the, if the law is there, no matter how the law has you know been sort of uh, I guess created, then it's there's probably no room for for Dortmund to to really stick their neck out on that one. Okay, a final question for all three of you: Should he be found guilty? Um, how do you think the club should deal with him? Should he be made an example of and sacked, or should he be allowed to serve his serve his ban and come back and play as normal? Serve the ban. I think that's yeah, yeah, that's punishment enough. Isn't absolutely, it? absolutely. You don't think he should be made an example of? No, I the, think the isn't the ban the example. The ban yeah. is the example. I yeah. think. Yeah, as you pointed out, he's going to miss not any club football. We're but. talking about a fat burner. I would say that in the scale of Darping, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Yeah, maybe I'm not sure. I agree with all of you, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll put, you feel free to say something about we'll, we'll put it. Do, we'll put doping aside. We'll put doping aside for one minute and 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 concentrate on the football. Uh, Champions League semi-finals coming up this week. Uh, Europa League semi-finals coming up this week. Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Man City, and Bayern all in action. Casper, um, Bayern Munich. First things first. Are is Jerome Boateng going to be fit? I think Jerome Boateng is um, will be playing. Will be starting on the bench, um, but um, he's been training with the team, so uh, should be should be fine. But I'm not sure if Guardiola wants to throw him in the deep end straight away um, against Atletico. Okay, second thing. Second, um, the way Atletico play with their you know they're strong on their counter attack. They're aggressive. They're quite happy to cede possession and are very very difficult to break down. As as Barcelona found found out in the last round, this has got to be the worst team that Bar that uh, Bayern Munich could face, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bayern have have had problems this season, especially against teams sitting deep and then hitting them hitting them on the break. Um, I mean, on the other hand, Atletico lost. Uh, three times against Barcelona this season, um, which is a team that plays quite a similar style to Bayern. Um, so, you know, it shows that they are vulnerable as well um, against passing teams, maybe. Um, so Bayern just have to 
get it get it right you know with their with their gegen pressing you know as soon as they lose the ball they have to get it back somehow um and apart from that they 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 have to be wary of defending too high up the pitch um to you know you know to not run into counterattacks um by atletico yeah i think you're right on that latter point because um you know a lot of people make um quite a point out of atletico's you know quite defensive mindset at some point if if you if you can put it that way certainly like you said they're hard to break down they work very um you know they they work very hard to sort of put pressure on the on on the opposition when they've got the ball but you know with Gritzman and then with with Torres in in um, pretty amazing form particularly the latter um there's really no um relaxing for Bayern at the back and i think that's sort of the question is you know that that we're talking about perhaps Boateng starting at all um is sort of a sign that maybe Bayern are a bit bit wary of, of what they might have to face um, in that in that half um, when 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 Adelaide do come out. Yeah. I think that um, Bayern uh, is going to have a lot a lot of problems with uh, with Atletico. It it is the, um, the most complicated team to play at the moment for everyone. It's you talked about the the very aggressive style, which is a, I would say a, a trademark of uh, Simeone. Which I really like as a player and a coach, and as a player, I think more as a player than, than as a coach. <laughs> um, but uh, the counterattack—it's—it's uh, uh, it's not the only—the only thing that they're really mastering at the moment. Um, I think the key is the the number of uh, working heads in that midfield. Um, it's really easy to see uh, Atletico playing with four central midfielders, at least in the paper. Uh, and when you have guys like um, like Koke or or uh, Saul, they work really, really hard. But they are really, really good players when it comes to have the ball in their possession. So usually, when you see a team playing um, in, with this style, with a very defensive and playing in, in a counter-attack, they rely on their wingers and they they play with a, a deep, 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 deep line and just throw the ball to the wingers. But uh, Atletico uh, do that differently with more uh, surplus, I would say. And uh, the back of, uh, of Bayern uh, is probably the most vulnerable. Uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, I mean, also Gabi, uh, really, oh, yeah, really yeah, important yeah. player, like the anchor of the team. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking back to, you know, matches where, where you know, a Kaká uh, in the Milan of, you know, the Milan in, in their best times or Pirlo or so were just yeah. man-marked out of the game. Yeah, And I'm wondering whether somebody like Vidal, for example, will get this, We'll get this kind of um, role in in these games to to manmark somebody. Well, you know? The problem um, is uh, just in terms who, of who you going not to take? being so liable for the counterattacks. The problem is who, who you're going to take, because every single uh, say, center midfielder in Atletico they have a amazing first pass, yeah. and they have space. They're gonna they're gonna just crack the the. the with Vidal, defense. they they very often don't even get to touch the ball. Um, <laughs> But I think taking Gabi out would, you know, would make would it quite difficult because he's. I, I would of... probably take uh, Saul. He has been amazing this season, and if he's not going to the Euros, it's just 
ridiculous for Spain. Coke has been brilliant too. Yeah, but it's brilliant. It has been amazing. It, it, it was supposed to go to Man United uh, in the last summer. Everyone was talking about about that, and it, it would be a great addition to the club. Of course, the other club from the other side of Madrid are also uh, the, in, are also the in side. Yeah, <laughs> are also in action. They play Man City. Man yeah. City are in their first semi final of the European Cup. Anybody want to take a guess about how many semi-finals Real Madrid have had? In all history? No, just uh, yeah, in, the, in their history, but just in the European Cup. How many semi-finals have they reached? 30? Uh, You're yeah, close. I would say uh, oh, a bit more than that. Oh, actually, a bit less. 26, 20... No? No, 27. Oh, damn it. You were, <laughs> you were close. How do you see this one panning out, Andre? How do you see this one panning out? Oh, uh, actually, I'm quite surprised that Man City uh, have made it that far. Made, really, really, I'm, I'm quite surprised. Why? They, they're so inconsistent uh, through the, the league, and uh, there are some key players that are completely uh, missing in action. I would yeah, say. Yeah, Torre. Yeah, yeah, Torre. David Silva. David Silva and. Uh, Raheem Sterling, mm-hmm. everyone was talking that it was going to be the next big thing, and I, I don't see that, at least right now. So I am quite surprised that they they get to the semi-final. What's interesting about this is I've been reading the Manchester Press this week, and they're talking like, it's only Real Madrid. We can do this. I mean, they're forgetting this is a Madrid with Bale, with Cruz, I, I, with I know, Modric, I know, but, but with Ma- Benzema. Madrid is a bit of a... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, when they play at home, they are really, really incredible. Uh, but the, when, not, when they're playing away, oh, things are really complicated. We've been watching that in, the, in La Liga. Every time they, they go away, they have a lot of troubles. And uh, they can find uh, themselves in trouble in, in, in Manchester. So how can City beat Madrid? What can they do to, to get past them? As I said, I, I called Pellegrini yesterday and <laughs> just to get a few tips on that. Um, no, it's not easy to, to beat uh, Real Madrid, but I would say that um, their uh, right back uh, is going to be uh, Carvajal. So I would put my money on the left back. Marcelo is a great, great winger, is not a great fullback. So if there's a way of cracking that defense, I would say it's from the left side of... Uh, Maybe Kevin De Bruyne getting in behind. Oh yeah, that's the guy to to do the job. I would say. Okay, one of the but, other one of the other Spanish teams that's in action is Villarreal mm-hmm. against Liverpool. Yeah, I'm a big big fan of Villarreal. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, a big fan. Uh, not as a. Do you have some links to the to the club? No, I'm a big fan of the way they play and uh, of the project uh, as a club. Uh, I really identify myself with uh, with uh, their ideas. Um, and I'm quite happy that uh, uh, a club uh, that that can come out of a city with uh, forty thousand people or something like that uh, is uh, getting serious. They were really close to the Champions League final. I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, when Rick Elman missed that that penalty. Oh, against Arsenal. Oh yeah, and uh, and now they are really close to get to a, a Europa League final and. Uh, it would be really, really interesting to, how to com- see that. How confident will they be? I mean, Liverpool are missing Henderson, Origi, Can, uh, Klein and Lucas were left out at the weekend. Sarko. 
Sacco, no, yeah. no Sacco as well, of course. <laughs> no Sacco, yeah. no Liverpool. <laughs> I think I think uh, they they are really really confident. They they they've been uh, making a great season. Um, actually, the last month was not the perfect month for them, but uh, they are very 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 solid and very compact when it comes to to sit back. Uh, and when you have someone like Bakambu or uh, Denis Suarez or Soldado, magic can happen. Let's get some semi-final predictions from you, Paddy. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, Real, and I think it'll be Real in this first leg quite convincingly, and I think they actually probably go through the tie pretty convincingly as well. Um, it's pretty difficult for me with with the other one, Bayern Atleti. Um, I feel like Bayern should get through, but it's going to take a huge effort from them. And um, we talked about the doubts over their defence. To be honest, I couldn't even predict their back four um, for this game. Um, so I don't say that with any confidence that Bayern will get through. Casper, I agree on the Real Madrid thing. I think they are it, the the experience will show um, versus City, uh, and they will they will get through, probably winning in both legs. Um, I think the first leg in Madrid is going to be difficult for Bayern, but um, I'm going to lean myself out the window now and say that <laughs> you know Atletico haven't lost a single game with more than two goals, uh, and I think Bayern are going to give them three in the return leg at least. But they're going to show them what they're made of now. Three <laughs> one to that we'll one see. next week. Just mark we'll, that one. We'll definitely yeah. come back to that one yeah. next week. And finally, from you, Andre. Yeah, I think uh, Madrid um, will win at home easily, and uh, they're going to have a lot of pro- problems in in Manchester. Probably losing one uh, nil or something like that. But I think that they're gonna they're gonna get like two three goals at home against City. Okay, and for Atletico Bayern, that's a tough one. Um, I I, I I'm, Probably, I'm, I'm seeing Bayern going through uh, with the same number of goals, but scoring twice uh, in, in El Calderon, because it's going to be really, really tough for both. Uh, now, for a long time, France and the French League has been arguably one of the greatest developers of young talent throughout Europe. You only have to look at the likes of Paul Pogba, Karim Benzema, Anthony Martial to see that. And tracking that development has been Andrew Gibney from French Football Weekly, whose Le 50 blog is picking out the next generation of young talent coming through the league. Andrew, maybe you could give us some background to this piece and maybe blow your trumpet and tell us what, what have been some of your major your major successes over the years. Yeah, it's something that we started on French Weekly 2012, just as a way to... So there was, on the basis of the Don Ballon's 100 list and then and Bed and Maradona took that on, we wanted to showcase how much really great French talent there was coming through. Uh, the, the criteria was uh, people who are playing for playing for the first team, not just people you might have heard of on Football Manager or FIFA, things like that. People that were actually ma- making an impact uh, in, in the first team league and league do, and we started to try to pick out some some big talents and it's grown from there. Now we sort of get votes from uh, respected journalists all over France and around the world, and uh, pick out or we'll try and pick out who's going to be the next big talents. Uh, the first one had the likes of uh, Kurt Zuma, Jan and Via, Cedric Bakambu, Eden Azar, uh, his brother Forgan as well. 
Yassine Brahimi and Alexander Lacazette. So not not a bad opening list to go with. Uh, Who have you picked out as the as the top prospects from this group of players from this season's group? Well, so we've released thirty of the fifty names so far. So there's another twenty we've still got to go. But people like Adrian Rabio, Adam Unas at Bordeaux is an excellent young talent. Uh, people like Bernardo Silva. Uh, Contant Taliso of Leon, who's really goes under the radar still, even though he's part of that really exciting uh, young Leon team, and probably the one that is catching a bit of a pop pop art now is Usmana Dembele of Rennes, who's a, a fantastic, exciting young player. Yeah, maybe you could talk to us about Dembele. I mean, twelve months ago he was a virtual unknown, un, unless you were like a hardcore Rennes fan. Now he's being linked with Dortmund, Bayern, and a whole host of clubs. What's happened since then, and why are these why are all these clubs getting so hot under the collar about him? Yeah, it's a really interesting story because he was he was set to leave. Uh, he wasn't happy that he hadn't been given any chances in the first team uh, by Philippe Montani, and he was very very close to leaving. It was Michael Silvestre, who's the sporting director there, actually had a word with him and said, "Look, we want you to club. We want we see a future with you." And he decided to sign uh, a, a new a new deal, and he's just been phenomenal. He's He's, he's, he's not really tall, but he looks at a lanky and gangly, but he's he's a really strong runner. He loves, he's got that same running running at defenders, the way that Luis Suarez does, that sort of runs through them. But he's got skill, he can use both feet, he, he doesn't rush uh, the play. He can, he's, he's still got room to improve, he sort of makes bad decisions sometimes, doesn't maybe pass when he should, but that's any young teenager will do that. But I mean, he can finish, he can... Pass. He's now playing through the middle, which he started out on the wing, and he's getting the ball and, and just making things happen. And he's he's made Ren a really watchable team again, which they hadn't been for a couple of years. And you can see why now in Barcelona, I've been there to watch him in person. He scored a hat trick against Nantes when they were there. Uh, that's going to pique anyone's interest. You can, you can see why Dortmund he fits into that sort of fast football uh, counter-attacking style. And there's, there's talk of there's a, a handshake agreement that there's a five million euro release cause, but there's nothing official and there's nothing sort of legally binding in that. Uh, the hope is for Ren that they're going to get a lot, lot more than that, possibly in the summer, if not next summer. Andrew, you mentioned a few clubs there that would be uh, interested or have been linked with him. In your gut feeling, you've obviously seen him a lot more than us. Where do you think he would a fit in and b get the chances at this point in his career? What would be a logical move, I suppose? The logical move for me, and I, I probably always stick to this, would be to stay in France for now. I think sometimes you can leave far too early. Uh, I think if you move somewhere like England right now, I think it would get out-muscled and the, the intensity of the game would maybe overwhelm him a little bit. But there's, that, that can definitely improve in that. France is, is, is physically challenging as England is, but just not as... Uh, for for ninety minutes is more not, not as high intensity. Germany would suit him well. That that that's a style of football would suit him. Uh, Spain as well. Uh, you can see you can see him playing for a team like Barcelona where you're not going to get bullied. But I really hope that he stays in France for at least another twelve months. I think that would do him and Ren a lot of good and do the league a lot of good as well. Um, from from doing this this list and viewing all these players in the past years. How many of them have actually made it, you know, from when they moved clubs? Because with Dembele as well, you you might be you might fear for him that he might be moving too early. Yeah, there's there's a lot. That, I mean, you look at Jan and V is probably a, a great example. That he was probably touted as highly as Dembele is now when he was at Rennes. 
and he made the wrong decision, went to Russia, and then he was into Milan, and so I went around different places, and he ended up at Sunderland, which probably wouldn't have been where you would have placed him when, when we first picked him for the list. And even people that said, maybe Cedric Bacambu is a really good example. Now, uh, Europa League semi-final with Villarreal, and it was at social, and you maybe didn't think he'd go as high as that, uh, but he's managed to find a way he could be in a European final next week. But it's, it's so hard. I think players don't look at this at a bigger picture. They look at where they're going to be in the next 12 months. Uh, I think Divock Origi is a great example of that. And he was, you're never going to reject a move to Liverpool, but going back to Liverpool was a bit of a mistake because he, he really he phoned it in for 12 months. And now you're starting to see what he really has to offer. And he maybe left too early on a loan deal rather than either moving permanently or staying. Uh, it can really it can really put your development back a good twelve months, two years, depending on what you decide to do. But there's still so many I was looking back at the two thousand and twelve list and there's a few names that we haven't seen at all anymore and there's a few names like you see Ed and Azar and even his brother who surprised me Fogg and I didn't think he would do much past uh, playing at loans in League Do and they've really come on and it's so unpredictable. Uh, one of my favourites on your list is Monaco's Almami Torre. I remember a couple of seasons ago he had a hand in destroying Arsenal at the Emirates and having seen that goal he scored against Marseille uh, where he dribbled from his own half, beat a few players, played a 1-2 before finishing with some real coolness. It seems like he's he's destined for big things too. Yeah, he's, he's got that touch of uh, Lillian Turan about him, hasn't he? That, that, that goal brought a lot of similarities and... I think I think he sees he sees himself more as a centre back uh, when he first came through. But the way Monaco play, they sort of they ask people to fill in if they have to. Like Fabinho moves to the middle when he can't play right back, and Toure comes in and plays there. But he looks like he's got all the the raw attributes to be a fantastic defender, depending whether that's in the middle or or, or at right back. But he's really one to to focus on. He's probably going to be the next generation of, of Monaco for next season when they sell. A few more players like Fabinho and Bernardo Silva and those guys, he'll, he'll come through and get more minutes and looks a real special talent. Yeah, with players like Dembele and Paul Nardi or Valentin Rangier or Leo Dubois, France must be feeling pretty confident about its future. Yeah, so you look at the under-21 side, there's just so many players in that who are playing regular first-team football. And you look at teams, teams like England and, and sort of the, the flip side, some really talented young players but never really get to push through to play in the top division and really get that experience but look at all these guys on the list they're all playing regular football at their clubs at the top at the top of, of the game and it makes them better players it just makes them they've got like a hundred they've got a hundred appearances before they even reach like under 21 sometimes which is incredible and it's now just the Deschamps job to sort of make sure some of these guys are getting a chance, and he's he's done great bringing people like giving Coleman a chance and giving Marcel a chance, and really just open up spaces for these guys and, and not sort of sticking to the past. And there's, there's so many players on this list that will probably never see international football, even though they are good enough, just because of there's that many players to choose from. The depth of talent is amazing. Um, I would think about how can these guys develop better uh, to actually achieve their full potential because if you look at, for example, what Arsene Wenger uh, has signed in, in the past decade, um, you know, Ngoc and Ali Adier and all these guys, where, where are they now? You know, what, what have they really made out of their careers? Um, 
Liverpool had a time as well where they were signing French youngsters, uh, um, you know, that ended up nowhere. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's important to to find a development path for these players um, that makes them achieve their potential. Um, and obviously, that's very difficult um, in the world of agents and you know youngsters seeing money uh, flashed in front of their eyes. Um, so Kingsley Coman story is amazing. You know, going from PSG, which is an amazing academy to Juventus, um, you know, couldn't, couldn't get much tougher to get a chance in the first team. And then from there going to Bayern, where it's even tougher, and he's mm. made it. Yeah, which is fun. My favourite story out of all of these is always Federico Makeda. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That's just great. He's also, you know, someone we've covered on the, on the podcast before, but it, it's never too old. It's, it's never, never too old. Yeah. Yeah, I never too soon to talk about it. It's a very fairy tale in reverse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's usually better than this, Lewis, I promise you. I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) On the line to talk about Arsenal is Lewis Ambrose of the Daily Canon. Lewis, the fans are staying away. There are reports that the players and staff are becoming increasingly mystified by Arsene Wenger's decisions. The performances are petering out. They're in danger of missing out on the top four this season. But is is sacking Wenger the answer? Um, sacking, well, sacking anyone's only ever the answer if you can replace them. And right now, I don't think Arsenal could probably replace Arsene Wenger. Um, but I guess ultimately that's out of the question anyway. He's got a contract to 2017 and he will decide when he leaves the club. Is there really nobody strong enough in Arsenal that can stand up to him and say, look, this is just not good enough? I think even Gazidis, the chief exec, would would turn around this summer and say, look, we have to sign someone or we have to sign two, three players uh, if that's what they think inside the club is necessary. I think they will tell him that and they'll push him into to doing more in the transfer market than perhaps last summer. Um, Gazidis is the guy that would probably be responsible for letting Wenger go. And no, I, I think after everything he's done... It's essentially his club. Everyone there has pretty much been appointed by him. He deals with everything in the way that managers don't nowadays across Europe. And it's pretty much his choice whether he stays or goes now. Is that a healthy way to be, Lewis? I mean, uh, obviously the game has changed quite considerably since um, Wenger joined the club. Um, It's maybe time to look at sort of at least reducing some of that power, do you think? Absolutely, because if nothing else, some sort of plan has to be put in motion for when he does leave. I mean, pretty much any other manager now, you look at Klopp, you look at Thomas Tuchel, you look at pretty much anyone else at the top of the game, and they're working without or with a director of football or someone in a similar role, a sporting director, every club in Germany has one. Um, it's not something that Arsenal have. There was David Dean performed a similar function at Arsenal until about a decade ago. And Wenger's pretty much taken on that responsibility himself. It it feels like Arsenal is more or less, if he's not the chief scout, the chief scout answers to him, Steve Rowley. Uh, The whole scouting team answers to to Arsenal. He, you know, sets transfer fees. He says the limit that can be spent on a player. He, He does pretty much everything. And it's not really sustainable nowadays. And, Eventually, be next year or in three years' time, when Arsenal are looking for a replacement, they're going to have to get three or four guys in, probably at least two or three guys, 
to perform all of Wenger's roles right now, so it's definitely time to start moving towards that. Speaking of transfers, can you give any Arsenal fans hope that Olivier Giroud won't be there next season? <laughs> um, that's a funny one. I I think Giroud will stick around as long as Arsenal don't sign a striker. And I'm not sure Arsenal will sign a striker. I think midfield will be the priority. Um, Danny Welbeck's obviously back now after almost a year out and has been playing pretty well. It feels like he's the first choice striker at the moment. He's not played the last two games, but that I think is more to do with the fact he was out for so long. Um, I think Welbeck will be given a chance next season to sort of establish himself and Drew will stick around. And if anything, Walcott's the one that's most likely to be sold. Lewis, I remember quotes from Wenger um, before Christmas, so leading towards the January transfer window. And I think he was asked about his striking stocks and expressed perhaps, um, well, as it turns out, quite deluded confidence in what he already had at the club. Um, I think only recently he sort of backtracked on those comments quite a bit. But you say you don't believe they're going to sign another striker? I think everyone knows Arsenal are pretty careful with their money. And to sign somebody that could... I mean, Giroud is, is not... Obviously, he's not a world-class striker. He's not in the same ilk of a Suarez, a Lewandowski or an Aguero. But to sign someone that's a guaranteed upgrade, people say maybe uh, Lacazette or last summer there were calls for players like Jackson Martinez, who was a huge failure at Atletico Madrid. And these guys, they, they just don't guarantee goals. And I think Arsenal, for Arsenal to spend 30, 40 million on a striker, which is what it would take probably to replace or upgrade on Giroud, I think you'd have to sign someone that you're not taking a risk. You're not signing somebody who actually turns out that he just had a good year this year and he's actually in the same bracket as Giroud. I think Wenger would rather stick with what he's got. I mean, one interesting thing, if Arsenal managed to sign another wide player, which would be my priority then perhaps Alexis Sanchez could move up front. I think that was the plan when Arsenal signed him. He played up front his uh, Premier League, his second Premier League game away against Everton and was subbed at half-time and then it was never revisited, which seemed odd to give a guy his second appearance for the club in a position and then never try it again. And I wonder if he if he doesn't go to sort of uh, with, uh, the Copper America this summer, which is sort of a, a showpiece really as an anniversary occasion and I don't think the the countries are expected to name their full squads. If Alexis doesn't go to that, I think Arsenal might experiment with him up front in the summer. Would you be sad to see the back of Theo Walcott? Um, no, after this season, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in terms of Alexis, actually, um, there have been rumours that he might actually be leaving, um, as well as Ozil, for example. What's your take on that? Yeah, there have been some suggestions. I mean, uh, I think it was AS in Chile who linked in with Bayern. No, I don't see that happening. I think that Alexis will, will definitely be an Arsenal player next year. He's got two years to run in his contract, so even if talks don't go as Arsenal hope, I expect the club would keep him for another year and then sell him. Lewis, just uh, moving on to uh, the, the result for Tottenham last night, a draw with West Brom is pretty much dashed their Premier League hopes. I was uh, following the Daily Cannon Twitter account last night and there was a, a fair degree of schadenfreude um, coming out of some of those tweets. Uh, it hasn't been a great couple of months as an Arsenal fan, but um, you guys seem to take a bit of delight at least in uh, one of your rivals failing. Well, you have to find some reason to smile in a season like this. Um, yeah, had, had Tottenham 
they still could, obviously. Had Tottenham gone on to win the league, I don't think any of us Arsenal fans would have ever heard the end of it. So it is not a consolation as such, but a bit of relief. Uh, Lewis, uh, a question, quick question. What do you think of a guy like uh, Diego Simeone to take charge of Arsenal? I would certainly be in favour of, of that eventually, if that came around. I mean, I think Simeone probably had the chance to take the Chelsea job, which Antonio Conte is kind of stepping into, so he, he's not looking to leave Atletico at the moment, it looks like. Um, but he's a fantastic manager. We've seen, everybody's seen now what he can do, what he's done with Atletico, the best defence in all of Europe now, and have been for a good few years. He's also replaced players, players have left, and the team's managed to stay at the same level was very impressive and actually watching some La Liga games they play better football than people realise as well it's not all this um, men behind the ball and stuff it's not parking the bus they, they press they're aggressive my some of the things that, that my, Arsenal need right now yeah um, my doubt would just be the board at Arsenal I don't know Letty at the moment have this sort of a nasty streak, really, and that's definitely inspired by Simeone and what he was like as a player, too. And I don't see Arsenal going for that. I don't think Arsenal would happily, you know, I think he's seen in the same sort of mould as Mourinho, and I don't think Arsenal, the board of the club, would, um, would accept that. I noticed while Lewis was speaking there, were, there were a couple of heads shaking when Daniel Welbeck's name came up. Anybody want to? Well, it wasn't even head shaking at, at Lewis. Let's make it clear. It was more about the, that is true. The, the pig-headed um, philosophy that that Wenger seems to be clinging on to a little bit. I think none of us can uh, argue with what he's achieved at Arsenal, but um, it's ludicrous the amount of control that he still has, given the lack of success in recent years. In my opinion, I think that the the Wenger cycle, the the Wenger era, uh, was over probably five years ago, four or five years ago. I don't really believe that a manager can stay in a club for more than four or five years with uh, all the problems that Arsenal had with the, with the stadium and they couldn't spend a lot of money every year and all the that things that we know. Um, but a team like Arsenal, they cannot be satisfied with a, the fourth place every year and uh, winning uh, a cup every three years or something like that. As Paul Scholes said, uh, it was so, so damn right on that. So um, I think that it, Arsenal need, needs to start afresh. Something completely new, a different style. I mentioned uh, Simeone in, um, in, in the conversation with Lewis because I think that it, it would be perfect for, for the job. Um, some of the things that, that I, I watch at Arsenal right now, probably the, the thing that I really... It really shocks me is the lack of attitude from the players. Lack of aggression. It's incredible. It looks like there's uh, nothing at stake. It's, they play like pedestrians. <laughs> yeah, that's how it seems to me. That's that's a great a great way of putting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they need uh, to be completely shaked with new attitude. Uh, so Wenger out for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Andre, Casper, our producer Damien, as well as Lewis and Andrew. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, you might as well download OneFootball. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud at OneFootball. Football.